0: You're listening to Redefining the Influencer, a podcast about what it means to live service first. I'm your host, Mike Burns. Education is one of the keystones of service, with educators playing one of the most important roles in society. That's why I'm thrilled to introduce you to this week's guest on Redefining the Influencer, Casey Hayward, a middle school teacher. Casey speaks to her experience teaching remotely during the global pandemic, incorporating mindfulness and meditation into her curriculum and how activism has begun to play a role in the classroom. KC, so great to connect again. How are you?
1: Good, thank you. How are you doing?
0: I'm wonderful. I'm wonderful, and appreciate the uh, the the opportunity to to spend some time with you this morning. Of course, and really help all of our listeners understand who you are, your amazing kind of track across the spectrum of service, your passion, your skills, the points of intersection and just really introduce you to the world and what you do because I think your story and your life journey would be and will be inspirational to all those who are listening to this podcast. So with that said, will you just tell us your name, where you're from, and really what you do day to day?
1: Yeah, my name is Casey Hayward. And originally I, I'm from Orlando, Florida, but I've I've since relocated to the Northeast Massachusetts, and I am a classroom teacher. I teach fifth, sixth, and seventh grade science mainly, but I also teach social studies and I, I offer a debate class as well that I've put together that I'm very passionate about. So that's the basics right there.
0: Obviously, teaching is tied to education, which is an amazing form of service. Walk me through how you got into teaching and, and really what excites you about teaching.
1: Well, I never thought that I was going to grow up and be a teacher. I sort of found my passion. Um, and yet when I look back on my life, I realized that I was always teaching people. And the first person that I remember teaching as a child was my younger sister. We're actually 13 months apart, and um, there's stories of of me trying to teach my sister to read before I could even read and holding the book upside down, but then eventually teaching her to read and then always being there to support her getting through school, getting into college. So she was sort of my first student. And I went uh, to school originally um, for performing arts. And, and when I got out of college for undergrad, um, I moved to New York. And after that, I actually ended up, traveling abroad for a few years and I was doing odd jobs. I I was teaching um, Pilates and and teaching theater, but I was like, this doesn't feel right to me. I wanted more. And so I eventually went back to graduate school um, at NYU in New York. And um, I discovered that I loved being in the classroom. I love teaching. I love being with students and my path opened up for me and I really haven't looked back.
0: And when you're looking at Teaching and education, obviously, it crosses a spectrum of type of education, whether it be levels, elementary to high school to college, to even higher level degrees in teaching, whether it be teaching a specific type of person or a specific course. What part of education or teaching are you driven to?
1: It's the people. Absolutely. It's connecting with, with students. It's inspiring people. It's getting to just interact with people day to day. And what we've recently discovered as teachers is it's that connection that's important. And regardless of whether or not we are connecting over through a computer screen, like we've had to do recently during remote learning, or we get to be in the classroom, which is the ideal, but also now we're realizing a privilege in some ways. It's the ability to, to connect with other people and, and to hear their ideas and to be in community and to help support each other. It's all about that for me.
0: And and if you look at your school specifically, kind of walk us through what your school looks like and what you do on a daily basis, and even put it in pre-COVID or pre-pandemic and and current, what's changed?
1: Oh, wow. Well, a lot's changed because if you were going to walk into my school, the one that I teach at, it's K through 12. It's about 180 students. Um, So it's a really small school. And every morning we start off in morning meetings, so everyone in the entire school gets together and we all sit on the floor of our main hallway and there's a classroom that that presents and they usually present one of our pillars which are freedom democracy responsibility trust and they'll say a little bit about that we do words of kindness every day on fridays we sing a song we do announcements and then anyone in the community can raise their hand and announce anything whether or not that's like a bake sale or uh, protest for climate change, the student run protest that like, anything can come up in morning meeting. After that, we break off into advisories. So I have I've always had an advisory of small group of students, fifth and sixth graders in particular, and I sit down with them, and I do mindfulness in the morning. And um, we just touch base. I check in with all of them, ask them if they have any announcements, if they want to share anything that they're excited about that day, and then I go over their schedules. And yeah, off they go. They usually start their day off with math or English, and then I'll see them for social studies or science in the afternoon. We have lunch groups together. So every day I host a lunch group, and it's either my advisees or um, kids who choose to come into my classroom. And I will sit there and eat lunch with the kids every day and just talk with them to know how they're doing, what they're thinking about. I miss it a lot because when you were saying pre COVID, that was our connection that we had. And I also had my students for, um, something I had for three years straight. You know, it's changed a bit with remote learning because we can't do our, um, morning meetings anymore, but we, we did continue to do advisory. So every morning at 9 a.m., I would start off with my advisees on Zoom with them checking in on how they were doing. And then we played games, which I think. It seems like such a simple thing, but when you're going through something like the pandemic, these games, it was just, it was the most beautiful thing to play I Spy through everyone's like Zoom or to play like funny word games, rhyming games with the kids, just stuff everyone can do, everyone has access to and to connect with them in that way. You know, sometimes the simple things can be the most powerful. And then of course they would, I would show them their schedule for the day and they would go into their Zoom classes. that was it. (laughs)
0: <laughs> Speaking of of sometimes the simplest things can be the most powerful. You said mindfulness, yes. right? You you have a period of of mindfulness training or engagement. And when you think education, most people think addition, subtraction, reading, writing, history. Let's dig a little bit deeper into mindfulness. What does that look like and why do you do it and more importantly, what are the outcomes that it creates?
1: Oh, wow. Um Well, mindfulness is for the individual. It's completely, it's like, you know, choose your own path, choose your own adventure. What I do for mindfulness is I have a book of daily mindfulness and I let the kids pick, they get to pick a page every day. There's a different kid that chooses the page and together we read a thought of the day and we'll discuss it. Then I have a bell and we sit and we do a silent meditation, usually just 30 seconds, but they also will sit for a minute before their math classes. The math teacher does it as well. And in that time, we ask them just to connect with themselves, to see where they're at for the day and get ready, you know? And um, if kids are struggling with mindfulness, what I talk to them about is just going through their senses, right? Feeling the air on their skin, focusing on their breathing, uh, feeling their feet on the floor, just so that they can connect with the present moment and start their day off in a grounded and calm way. And it's beautiful. And like I said, we do that every day. That is completely my routine. That happened all through remote learning. Every morning is mindfulness.
0: And I imagine, especially during the time of the pandemic, when kids are outside of their normal elements, and they're probably a little bit confused on what their future holds and how they should operate in this potentially new world. And mindfulness and, and recentering, I'm sure, becomes... A big part of them being comfortable in their space have you seen mindfulness becoming even a bigger part of your your day-to-day than it was pre-covid
1: yeah you're absolutely right about that and and the thing is is as a teacher it's so important for me to realize too that i don't have the answers and that sometimes all i can do is offer the tools you know and mindfulness is one of those tools and I think it did positively impact them. It did help them through that situation. It was one of the gifts I can offer, you know, my, li- my little bit of wisdom that I, that I found in my life of things that helped me. But in, in another way, for some kids where mindfulness isn't the key, you know, that unlocks every door, those games also did the same thing, which is why I was saying, we can't underestimate the power of playing and how important it is to be in community with each other as another thing that that essentially we just we need as human beings but also can get us through these stressful times that we're experiencing now where we don't have answers
0: education is such an interesting thing because it can be the great equalizer or it can be the great separator and those who have education tend to perform better and land in better places in society and those who don't tend to land in the counter place. And oftentimes it's, it's not based off of anything that you've done that allows you to get certain levels of education. What is your opinion around the educational dynamics? And then as a teacher, someone who's dedicated their life to education, how do you help bridge uh, some of the educational divides between different types of people?
1: Well, education can't just be a meritocracy. I think that that's an important thing to talk about because we're not all starting from the same place, right? We talk about the difference between equity and equality. I think that it's really important to focus in education on making sure that our most vulnerable learners have the support that they need. And that means uh, our our special ed programs are are incredible in our schools and they're doing incredible things. Uh, It's really important that we have the legislation that we have, which protects our most vulnerable students—the anti-discriminatory legislation for students with disabilities—and then it's it's really important to make sure that you meet the child where they're at. In most states, you have to go through um, sheltered English immersion training too, which it's for working with ELL students, English um, English language learners, so that we can incorporate their culture, their needs, their families in our classroom. There's this idea of the banking method of education. It's really old school. And it's the thing where it's like, I teach you something and then I want you to be able to restate that exactly the way I taught it to you back to me. It's not about that anymore. The way that we teach is, it's almost more Socratic, you know, uh, asking a lot of questions. Yeah, it's, it's connecting with families, respecting the individual and trying to work with every person and, you know help them be the best person that they can be and, and access everything that they can. A public education is it's an incredibly important thing in this country, but you're right. It's important that that we really think now about how we can make sure that every child has the ability to succeed in America. You know, the American dream education has got to be a central part of that. And um, we should be having more conversations about what that means.
0: And do you think there's lessons that are part of the fundamental learning process of a child. And and you said something that really resonated with me. You said meeting people where they are. Yes, And uh, I think that lesson is transferable outside of the classroom and just regular day-to-day interaction. When you teach, you obviously are teaching more than just hard skills. You're teaching life skills. Like, what is the balance that you use in the classroom between hard skills, the X's and the O's, and the soft skills that will make people respectful, functional, great human beings outside of the classroom?
1: I think if you focus on the soft skills first and foremost, you know, um, you focus on teaching kids to be great people, then um, that should be the priority. And obviously, you do that with families as well in the community and we try and model that as, as teachers ourselves. So definitely, if let's say it's 60 40 with the soft skills and social thinking and, and how to be a democratic community member and how to cooperate with others, be an independent learner, like all of these things that as adults, so many of us are still like, you know, we're still in process too. Um, those skills complement anything that you want to learn in life. So if you can learn to be self-motivated, if you can learn to follow your passions and kind of be a self-starter, it doesn't matter if you're looking at the next unit in the textbook ahead of everyone else, or if you're, you know, a 40-something-year-old venture capitalist. <laughs> like, that's a silly metaphor. It was the first thing that came into my mind. But basically, the soft skills are really the things that are um, going to benefit you in life. It's how to cope day-to-day even how to study, how to just stay engaged in your community, in your life. But then, you know, we also have the standards we joke about, but they're, you know, they're very real. We have, for us, it's Massachusetts state standards and we have to, we do curriculum mapping and we have to outline, you know, that's the job. I got to make sure that when the kids leave a um, science class, they have an understanding of what an ecosystem is and, you know, like simple machines and all, you know, they can't leave sixth grade without understanding the moon phases. But it's it's not about the moon phases as much as it's about teaching kids to be lifelong learners.
0: And and you you said something about family. And I think when most people think about teachers, they think about the one-on-one interaction between the teacher and the student or the interaction between the teacher and his or her class. But it's much bigger than that, right? It's the whole community it's the family, it's the neighborhood. What you touch in form of the student, you ultimately have to touch the people that touch that student. What does that look like?
1: Well, you can't talk about teaching without talking about connecting with the families of the students. Um, When we bring our our students in for, they used to have like parent-teacher conferences. For us, we do personal education plans. We call them PEP conferences. And so we have this Students and their families sit down with us together and we talk to them now like as a group. But it's, you know, it's a lot of like, it's a lot about uh being open and available for conversations and and kind of um I talk to families a lot more <laughs> than, than you would realize because we we always want to make sure that they know what's going on, that they're a part of their child's education. Every Friday we send home an email of our little group, which is the fifth and sixth grade teachers. To all the families, talking about what we did, just so they can have something like to talk about over dinner table conversations. They're on the same page about whether what their child's learning, because it is it's a completely a team effort. It takes a village, you know, to raise a child. And we also want to make sure that we're respecting all the different families that we have, like what all the different families look like in our community and their different needs. And the only way that we can do that is constant contact, like. Just ongoing conversation. I'm learning, you're learning. We're doing this together where our goal is the same. And the goal is to get your child everything that he or she uh, needs in life, the tools.
0: (laughs) You talked about your entry into teaching was at a very young age teaching your sister before you even knew how to read. And now you've been doing this for a little bit of time. What keeps you going? Like, why do you continue to invest and pour yourself into this profession?
1: I mean, there's just so many moments, so many memories. It's just tiny little flashes of wonderful connections, wonderful glimpses into who people are. I mean, I, I had a student who made me a mask and sent me a letter during the pandemic. She made it herself and... I had another a student who um was interested in reading poetry and she's just asking me, well, what poets do you like, you know? Or like kids cheering me on. We do like a faculty student basketball game every year. And I'm not the best basketball player, but like <laughs> having like those little cheerleaders out there, you know, and watching the kids grow into like meet their own goals and be the people that they want to be. I, I've been very impressed with the activism in our the student-led activism in our school. Kids who are standing up in morning meeting and being like, today is the climate march or today is Friday and we're going to go and we're going to do a little protest and the kids completely organize it. We also had a student-led Black Lives Matter protest on the island and she got together a bunch of different speakers and we had a really interesting conversation that was student-led over Zoom with the head of the NAACP and the police in our community. And it was students and it was teachers and it was the police and it was representatives of the NAACP. And that is all just kids taking the initiative. You know, they're, they're taking what they've learned and they're making a difference. And like, I'm just like, keep going, kids, <laughs> you know? I, that, that keeps me going because yeah, they're amazing. They're impressive. They make me, feel very hopeful for our future. This generation is amazing.
0: Yeah, I have two little ones younger than the ones that you teach. I have a three and a six-year-old and I see so much light and so much honesty and vulnerability and purity in them. And that's just the two I interact with on a daily basis. I can't imagine how much your kids pour into you. And One thing that I've learned from my kids is there's a lot I can learn from my kids. There are things that you think adults, if we really paid attention and show the due amount of respect to children that we could learn from kids.
1: Absolutely. And I'm sure many adults do this, but if you don't do this, ask them what they're thinking. I asked a 15 year old It was a friend of the family the other day, how he thought the adults were handling the COVID pandemic. I was just like, what's your opinion on this? What do you think? Like, give them a chance to surprise you with their response. Ask them the big questions. Really talk to kids. And then you will be amazed at the answers. Like, even just simple stuff. Ask them, do you know what the trees are in our yard? And then if they don't know, help them research it. It's so much fun. You guys can learn together.
0: (laughs) Wow. Wow. That, That is so spot on and something for me to take away because I know that I need to do a better job of asking questions at exploring with my kids and most importantly, being present in the moment when we're in the same space. And I think a lot of times adults find themselves there, but they're not present And uh, we can all learn a whole bunch from the people that might be shorter than a lot of us because they're just as bright and and have great opinions and outlooks on life. So for you, what do you think is your next phase of teaching, your next journey point in your life of service? Where's Casey going?
1: For me, the key is self-directed learning. It's almost like, yeah, (laughs) I don't want to say it's like educational improv, but a lot of my training has been, it's been responsive, like responsive classroom. But so what that means is, I mean, I I will build my curriculum frameworks I have for next year, et cetera. And and we're looking at, you know, the three different models. And so it's a lot of planning and this and that. But when it comes down to it is is the beginning of the year, you got to get to know who your new students are and find out what they're interested in. And like I said, start asking them questions. And if you find out that you've got a class of kids who are really passionate about reducing plastic pollution, then as a teacher, what I'm going to do is I'm going to start to be like, okay, let's get them out on the beach. Let's get them picking up plastic. Let's see how much plastic we get. Let's, you know, like, let's see what's going on in our community. Are there other organizations we can partner with? Are there other experts we can bring into the classroom? So it's, I'm going to just continue to teach self-directed learners. That's my thing. And I think that is meeting the individual. And I think that is a way to serve everyone in your classroom and meet them where they're at and, um, or meet them where they are.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so, so at the end of the day, what does service really mean to you?
1: Service is, you know, it's the next step in our own personal evolution. It's like when we're kids, you know, people say that kids are selfish. I don't think kids are selfish. I think that we can be selfish in life, we can have moments of selfishness, but that everyone really is generous in spirit. And when you really like give them a chance, when you respect them, when you talk to them. So what service means to me is it's just connecting on, on that different level. It's connecting on the level that, you know, I, I always wanted to get to in my life, which is what can I do for others rather than what can I do for myself? And it's been the most fulfilling thing. It's. I couldn't imagine doing anything else in life because thinking about others, it's the thing that makes the most sense. I was practically religious. This is modern day spirituality here. What can I do for man? What can I do for people?
0: Casey, your story and what you're doing, I think is so impactful.
1: Thank you. And I just, I think it's so important for me to be like, I'm just one of many, 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 many people that are doing the same thing, you know? Like there's so many amazing teachers that inspire me that are out there and like people have been doing it for so many years, it's incredible.
0: And I'm just curious, are there people that you have seen that you emulate yourself off of uh, from the teaching perspective?
1: Absolutely, yeah. Um, I have a, an amazing mentor, She teaches high school science. Her name is Jane Paquette and she's amazing and she really cares about her students. And I love the way that she teaches and yeah, she's absolutely helped me.
0: Just curious if there were three attributes from Jane that you try to mirror or emulate, what are those attributes?
1: Uh, Respecting the individual, asking good questions and encouraging students to be fearless in asking questions. And researching and then jane is she's a scholar she's a lifelong learner she's knows more about zoom now than i do because when she encounters something she doesn't know she like she attacks it in such a voracious way she's such a brilliant woman she knows like her spectrum of knowledge to me is so impressive it's everything from understanding like organic chemistry to she was like i remember she was telling me when, when she was studying she was doing um, anthropology, but it wasn't just, it was like forensic anthropology and it was like, Oh my God. So yeah, like getting to sit down with Jane for me is, it's amazing because she's going to talk about the world, but then she's also going to talk about like the cosmos. Wow. (laughs) Like the individual and the universe. (laughs) Jane makes it all make sense.
0: (laughs) But that in itself is a skill right? Being able to take things that can be, seem to be very opposite and have some point of alignment to where it can easily be understood and digested. Not everyone can do that.
1: No, that's that's what's so special about it.
0: And then what can other people do? So for those that are not teachers, are not trained educators, how can they still, in terms of service, provide guidance and teach those who are around them. What could they do?
1: There's so many things. Teachers, we can be limited in our expertise. So if you are an expert in something, connect with your classroom teachers where you are and maybe volunteer to come into the classroom. If you're a member of a local tribe and you want to come in and you want to you want to teach about like the real history, you know, from your point of view in the classroom, please reach out to your teachers, come in. Like we want your voice to be a part of the conversation. It's so important right now. It's so important to share skills. If you're a master carpenter, you've got a lot. You can teach kids and I'm not a master carpenter. So so that is so important. It's connecting with our communities. You know, we also, we get grant money from our local banks. We get grant money for like very specific things in the classroom. Like I might say, I want to take the kids on a whale watch. And to be able to fund something like that or or to fund the building of a new space at a school, we our science lab was donated. That I mean, that's you're just touching lives when you're able to, to do something like that. So it's either share your own education, share who you are as a person with your community, help support the schools if you can through supporting the grant programs, giving to the grant programs, starting a grant program donating if you can. But there's also a lot of donors choose pages as well for teachers, ask for specific things for their classrooms. It's just be a member of your community, get out there and vote, go to town meeting if you have them. If you don't have kids, consider like the big brother program, big brother, big sister. There's so many, so many things.
0: You have just given everyone a buffet of options and they can load as much on their plate as they feel comfortable or they can just take one item. And I think service is a very slow, methodical, at-your-own-pace type of activity. And you don't have to try to do everything for everybody. Just one thing for somebody is powerful and impactful enough. And Casey, absolutely appreciated your time, your honesty, and what you do for those around you, especially for those that will be the future of this country and the future of this world. Thanks so much for your time. And we will chat soon.
1: I appreciate it. Thank you.
0: Casey's story influences us to completely pour ourselves into those who represent our future. And to remember that sometimes the simplest things, like truly connecting, have the biggest impact. She also reminds us to not dismiss, but rather embrace the insights of children for their viewpoints often come from a place of purity, honesty, and optimism. Continue to be unapologetically kind and make this world a better place, one act of service at a time. Thanks for listening. Before we go, please subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen. And visit our website, liveservicefirst.com, to learn more about Casey's incredible story of service. I'll catch you all again next week. This podcast is brought to you by Service First and produced by Human Group Media.